You know what? I decided that today will be our finale uh, for our series, uh, uh, Stronger. And, uh, and I'm going to take a slightly different approach to how we end the series. Uh, um, uh, and I, I, I think in part, my inspiration uh, to, to approach the word the way I am this morning uh, really derived from some of the news uh, that we heard this week, uh, particularly uh, with the loss of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Uh, and the reason I wanted to address um, faith from this vantage point is that in church, we're often taught that faith makes you a superhero. That if you and I subscribe to this thing called faith, then we become untouchable. But the truth of the matter is that bad things come to us all. Bad times come to us all. In fact, here's, can, you, can you hear this with me this morning, City Church? Faith doesn't make life easy. Faith makes life possible. And we have been taught often that if you're simply a person of faith, then you become immune to life's difficulties. Yet the psalmist said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's good people. That's people who love God. Yet the psalmist in his observation of life declared that a whole lot of bad stuff happens even to good people. But he continues and says, here's the good news. The Lord delivers us out of them all. Every single time. So this morning, I want to approach this message of faith. I want to close out this series of messages on faith and how we've been talking about stronger and the fact that you and I were built for and created for and designed for and purposed for exploits by addressing how to get through what you're going through. In fact, the title of this message is Pain Management. How to get through what you're going through. One of the greatest discoveries I have made in life as a human being and as a senior leader of a church and having served in ministry, full-time vocational ministry for 17 years, is that sometimes the singular key to success in life is my ability to manage pain. <laughs> you said, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? Let me tell you why that's important. Because for some of us, pain will become a prison. But for others of us, pain will become a platform for God. You decide. Because pain comes to all of us. The distinction is not in what happens to us, but it is in our response to what happened. The key is to begin to ask the question, not only what happened to me then, but what's happening in me now. It's a question of pain management because all of us have experienced and suffered loss and disappointment at one time or another. Even though we love God and we know that this God promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. So what's up with all this pain? 
And what's up with all this struggle? And what's up with all this affliction? And what's up with all this adversity? In fact, Alonzo Mourning, several years ago when he was still playing, in fact, he had gone from the Miami Heat to the New Jersey Nets. And it was in the offseason when he was rushed to the hospital with severe pain in his abdomen. And when he was diagnosed, the doctor says this, told him this could be a career-ending uh, disease because of how his kidneys, not his kidneys, was it liver or kidneys? Kidneys or liver? Kidneys had been affected. His coach, the season before in Miami, was the legendary Pat Riley. And so when Pat heard that Alonzo had been hospitalized, he came to the hospital. And sitting at Alonzo's bedside, with tears streaming down Alonzo's face, realizing that his career as a professional athlete was drawing to a close, turned to Pat Riley and looked for counsel. And this is what Pat Riley told him. Uh, one of the most profound statements of wisdom that I have heard, and it's one that I've chosen to cling to. Pat Riley looked Alonzo in the eye and told him, Alonzo, adversity introduces a man to himself. You will never truly understand or appreciate who you are or what you have or what you're made of until you're introduced to yourself in the mirror of adversity. When you have to stare at who you are when you are confronted with difficult times. <laughs> and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because for Kate Spade and Anthony Boudin and approximately 60 million other Americans, life is hopeless. The last thought before a person chooses to take their life is hopelessness. That my situation and my circumstances will never be better than what they are right now. And so it's better just to cut my losses and take matters into my own hands right now so I can no longer feel the pain. For most people, suicide becomes their pain management alternative. The pain is too difficult for me to confront, so it's better to end it now. But even with suicide, recognize that the pain doesn't end, especially for those you leave behind. And the truth is, for those of us who claim to be faith superheroes, many of us are suffering in silence because of the stigma that those of us who call ourselves faith people attach to those feelings of hopelessness. So we've been taught that when you show up to church, put a smile on your face, even when you're dying inside. We've been conditioned to say all the right things when our lives are falling apart. How you doing, brother? Oh, bless the Lord. How you doing, sister? Our God is awesome. 
And the whole time, we're struggling with pain. Uh, notice, notice the statistics. Notice the statistics. According to the World Health Organization, 350 million people struggle with depression worldwide. 350 million people worldwide. What that means is, if you were to take everybody in the United States of America worldwide, the population of America would, would represent the number of people who are depressed worldwide. It, it, imagine this. If every citizen in the United States was battling with depression, every single person you met, every single person you talked to, that is indicative and representative of people around the world who are struggling with hopelessness. In America alone, the disproportionate <laughs> land of the free, home of the brave, where we pursue life liberty, or the, we have the right to, to, to the pursuit. No, I'm saying it wrong. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everybody comes to America to live the American dream. Out of 350 people worldwide that struggle with depression, 60 million of them live right here in America. 60 million out of 350. When my wife and I moved to, to Plano in 2000, 17 years ago, our family physician said that there are more antidepressant prescriptions written in Plano per capita than anywhere else in America. And when I moved to Plano, all I saw was brand new cars, bigger houses, fine restaurants, and people walking around hopeless. but we know how to wear the mask and play the part. And there are people all around us, all around us, suffering in silence. Because somewhere we've been taught that if you're a person of faith, you're supposed to pretend everything's okay. If you read the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you will find men and women who cried out to God in desperation. In fact, there's one guy who wrote an entire epistle, not epistle, an entire uh, 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 book of the Bible that's, that's dedicated to him, that's attributed to him, several chapters, 30 plus chapters, who was called the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. The same Jeremiah who said that God has a plan to prosper me, to give me a hope and a future and an expected end was called the weeping prophet. Because one day he's on the top of the mountain and declaring that God has a plan and a purpose for you and the next moment he's in the valley struggling with his emotions. Even though he's an outspeaker for God. And I'm talking to City Church because I know that there are some of us who have been touched, touched, touched with hopelessness, touched with desperation. Yet we wear the mask of what we call faith. So just so you, I make sure that this is not just Pastor Ray's opinion, let's look to the word together because this is where we're going to end this series stronger. That while you and I were designed and created for exploits, 
the struggle is real. Mm. And sometimes victory over the struggle begins with the acknowledgement that when somebody asks me, are you okay? That it's okay for me to say, I'm not okay. I'm talking to people who desperately need to ask for help. And I got both hands lifted. Because I need help. Just like you need help. So the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, and I don't know why, and I wish we had more time to extend the series, and we may revisit this in the months and the years to come, uh, because it's impossible to exhaust all the life lessons and the principles in Hebrews 11. Uh, But I've just been fixated on this part of the Bible or this part of the chapter, Hebrews 11, that I like to call honorable mention. Remember we said that Hebrews 11 is the faith hall of fame. And as we read these stories, these are the stories and the glimpses of men and women who learned to live by faith. Uh, But there's a section in Hebrews 11 that I like to call honorable mention. And I like to call it honorable mention because there's not a whole lot said in Hebrews 11 about these individuals, even though we can get a better composite panoramic view of their lives as we read the Old Testament. And so today for our anchor text, one of the scriptures I want us to look at is Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to pick this up almost mid-sentence in verse 32. Hebrews 11 and verse 32 reads, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, but also of David. Also of David. I find the fact that David is only mentioned by name in this chapter on faith, rather curious. All that's said about David, the most celebrated king of Israel, a man credited with writing uh, maybe two-thirds or three-fourths of the Psalms, prolific songwriter, the king who killed, or the shepherd boy who killed Goliath. And all Hebrews 11 said about him is that also this guy called David. All he is in this faith hall of fame is a footnote. Almost like he's just an afterthought. But that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because David's life uh, was not an easy life. David's life was a life filled with adversity and challenge after challenge and pain. Yet God says, that's my boy. How you gonna love somebody and let them go through life with so much pain? Sometimes I read David's life and I'm like, Lord, I don't want you to love me that much. Roll back on some of that love a little bit. 
And out of all the, <laughs> my daughter's laughing. Out of all the things that I could say about David this morning, <clears throat> I want us to take a quick tour of this moment in David's life. When he has just scaled the mountaintop, but he has no idea that most times, after you've spent some time on the mountain, the valley quickly comes. Hmm? I'm talking to that one whose life is clicking on all cylinders and life is good. And you're doing the floss. Hey. That was bad, wasn't it? That was horrible. I've been trying to get that thing down with Levi. I can't. When I bring it around like this, it, it, that's bad. Yeah, don't do that again, Pastor. I've been trying to get that floss. When I... I can't bring it around and <laughs> I've been trying, man, for weeks. Pastor, just a little out of sync, y'all. Just a little bit. Uh, what was I talking about? David, on, on, on top of the world, on top of the world. Life is clicking on all cylinders. Let's look at this. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 30. I've been trying, City Church. Y'all pray for your pastor to get that floss down. I've been trying. Uh, what did I say the scripture was? Is that where we want to go? I think. First Samuel chapter 30. Um, yes, verses 1 through 6. First Samuel chapter 30. Verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> As you're turning there, let me just read some, some of the stats to you. Uh, this is directly from the, I think it's called the, I forget what the organization is called now, but they deal directly uh, with disorders relating to anxiety and hopelessness. Uh, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States ages 18 and older or 18.1% of the population every year. 40 million Americans dealing with anxiety. Anxiety disorders are highly treatable. Notice, they are highly treatable, yet only 36.9% of those suffering receive treatment. Only 36% of 40 million receive treatment. Part of that is access to treatment, but another part of it is denial that I need treatment. And therefore, only 36 people say, I need help. 36% of people say, I need help. And the other 70 plus percent learn to cope or medicate their pain in other ways. Uh, People with an anxiety disorder are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor and six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than those who do not suffer from anxiety disorders. Uh, notice this, it's anxiety disorders developed from a complex, complex, there is no cookie-cutter solution to why many grapple with anxiety or hopelessness or depression, it's very complex. A complex set of risk factors, including genetics. A genetic disposition. 
That means I was born this way. How many of you realize we live in a broken world? And it's so much easier for us to uh, accept or or, um, nurse physical brokenness. But the truth is, there are many born with emotional and chemical brokenness. Not that God created you that way. But because sin broke the world. Everything about our world was touched by sin. I don't even have time to go into that. But the far-reaching impact of sin and the sin nature, and as a result, we live in a broken world, and we're broken people. Now, nobody faults someone if their back hurts for going to a back doctor. Nobody faults somebody if their foot hurts for going to a foot doctor. Why have we attached such stigma? That if something is broken mentally, something is broken neurologically, that I can't go and get help. We're all broken. Somewhere. The the, the risk factors are not only genetic, it can also be brain chemistry. Something's off with the, there's chemical imbalance up here. It can also be a result of life events. Traumatic life events. As I was doing research for this message, the highest suicide rates in America is in the state of Montana. Montana. And the reason the rates are so high is because of the number of veterans who live in Montana who suffer PTSD. And the highest rates of suicide, excuse me, in Montana are veterans. There are life events that negatively impact us that we must deal with. I'm talking to church folk. If the statistics are true, right here in this room, people could be battling some form of anxiety about life. Yet you and I would never know it because we've learned how to say the right things at the right time. Mm? Mm. All we've been taught, just slap a Jesus Band-Aid on it. What's wrong with your faith? Go read your Bible. Go pray more. That's what we do. So here's the story. Lord, I ain't got time to get through everything. As, um, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. I'm talking about faith. <laughs> I'm talking about faith. I'm talking about being stronger. Verse 1 of 1 Samuel 30. Now it happened. We, we read that phrase somewhere else recently, right? About the Shunammite woman. It just happened. 
And that's the way life usually unfolds. Not the way you scripted it. Not the way you planned it. And you've heard me quote this 20th century philosopher more than once, that everybody's got a plan until they get hit. And that 20th century philosopher was Mike Tyson. Because all those dudes that jumped in the ring with Mike had a plan of how they're going to knock him out. And all it took was the first hit. And the plan flew out the window. This is what we're watching right here with David as he returns to Ziklag. It just happened one day, man. That's Ebonic's version. It just happened one day, man. (laughs) Bring it back in, Pastor. Yes, I will. When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and they had attacked Ziklag, and they burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were with, who were there from small to great. No one was exempt. Up and out, down and out. Everybody was touched by this Amalekite incursion, this Amalekite invasion of Ziklag. Everybody was touched. Now check this out. Scripture says they didn't kill them, but they carried them away and went away. Verse 3, so David and his men came to the city. (laughs) Check this out now. The reason David and his men weren't even there was because they were out doing what they were supposed to do. They were out being warriors. They were out conquering and vanquishing the enemy. And they came back to Ziklag after having fulfilled God's plan. After spending a few moments on the mountaintop, without warning, walking into a valley where everything they held precious and dear was taken away. Right in the middle of doing what they were supposed to do. Bad things happen to good people. And life is filled with interruptions. I imagine these guys came back wanting to see their wives, expecting that their children would be running out to greet them on the outskirts of the town. They probably expected to see smoke, but not the kind of smoke they saw. They probably thought their wives would be making them dinner. But the smoke they saw And the odor they inhaled was that of having lost everything. So the scripture continues. Uh, So David and his men came to the city, and there it was. (laughs) Like how does there it was? Sometimes life will just throw you a couple of there it was. Here it is. Deal with it. And there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. 
until they had no more power to weep. <laughs> I'm talking about that cute little cry that, that come down, that little tear come down your, your, your oh, hallelujah. <laughs> it wasn't one of them. It wasn't one of them freight cries from Greenleaf. Some of y'all watch the show. No, the scripture says these were grown men who experienced such pain that they not only wept, but they lifted up their voices and wept until they had no power to weep. Every single tear dry. I'm talking, I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking about life events that make life seem hopeless. I'm talking about pain management because pain comes to us all. Some of us make our pain our prison and we get stuck in Ziklag. But then there are those of us who will choose to make the most painful places and seasons of our lives our platform. This guy named John Walsh who lost a child. He made it a platform. And that platform has gone after, it has pursued and arrested criminal after criminal. And then there are people who are still mourning the loss, a similar loss to what John experienced. And they're still stuck in that place. I'm not minimizing what you experienced. I'm not minimizing it. I'm saying faith will move you from the prison of pain and make it a platform for God. It's pain management. It's not only about what happened to you. It's about what's happening in you right now. So these guys are uh, dealing with tremendous pain, man. <laughs> uh, verse 5, and David's two wives... And Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive as well. David, David, even though he's king, is touched like everybody else in the village, in the community, in the town. He's not exempt. Pain came to David's house too. All right. Took his wives. And Abigail. I'm sorry, took his wife, two wives. Where are we? Verse 6. It says, now David was greatly distressed. <laughs> For the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. I'm talking about pain management. In their pain, this is what they decided to do. We're going to stone David. We're going to make David pay. Because if we weren't following David, we would have been here to protect our families. And sometimes, in our pain, we direct or misdirect our anger at the wrong things. Let me tell you who's trying to stone David. His 36 mighty men. They are among them. We always talk about these 36 mighty men as being noble. But let me tell you something. Change is the litmus test for commitment. 
let the situation change a little bit. Let the circumstances change a little bit. And the same people you marched into battle with are going to be the ones to pick up the stone and stone you. There's no place in the text where it says, David's mighty men surrounded him. Let me tell you something. David was all alone, not grieving his own loss, but carrying the weight of everybody else's loss. And standing there saying, these people about to stone me in their pain. Let me tell you something. Don't act surprised. Of an ally. Become the mouth of your adversary. I'll say that again. Do not be surprised. When once upon a time, the ear of your ally all of a sudden becomes the mouth of your adversary. When the one you once confided in becomes the one who attacks you. That's what David is dealing with. Not dealing with his own, not only dealing with his own pain, but now people that he had done life with are saying, we're going to kill this joker. Now, I'm talking about pain management. There were some people who said, let's kill David for it. But notice how David managed his pain. Verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But notice David's pain management. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When people try to stone you, when they don't know how to manage their pain, realize it's not about you. They're hurting too. And the sign of maturity is being able to turn to God when people are stoning you. Recognizing that hurt people hurt people. That those who don't deal with their pain make life painful for others. And so when they were trying to stone David, David turned to the Lord. When you're trying to make people pay for your pain, you should turn to the Lord. When you're trying to stone the people that hurt you, the first step of pain management to be to turn to the Lord. And that's where most of us miss it. It's not about you. Those people are hurting too. Those people are hurting too. Those people are hurting too. Jesus understood that when he said, Father, forgive them. You don't know what they're doing, man. 
They're so blinded by pain that they haven't managed well. That's why they're taking it out on me. That's why they're taking it out on you. But they really don't get what they're doing. How to get through what you're going through? How do you get through what you're going through? Here it is. And this is really where my sermon starts. All of that was just the introduction. No, I promise you. Point number one. I promise you this is point number one. But it's 1120. Let's pick this up next week. Because I can't do it. I can't do it today. But point number one is simply this. What you know is what will get you through in life. It is what you know. <laughs> ah, it is what you know. It is what you know, not what you claim to know. Because there's a whole bunch of us that quote scripture and memorize scripture. But when life shows up, hmm, it is about what you know that will get you through. When life is bad, is God still good? Mm-hmm. This, this is the kind of maturity now that I'm talking about. This is the kind of maturity that I'm talking about. I was speaking at Rock Point Church for uh, one of our overseers, uh, Ron Holton. So I was preparing my message. The Lord reminded me of Romans 8.28. All things work together. All things work together for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. When I hear people quote Romans 8.28, that's what I hear them say. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And the Lord stopped me one day. He said, read that again. I read it again. He said, what does the verse say? All things work. I said, he said, read it again. All things. He said, read it again. All things. <laughs> and he says, Ray, what's the most important phrase in that verse? And the most important phrase in that verse I discovered was the phrase that I had omitted. Because most of us quote that verse and we start with all things work together. But the word starts, the verse starts before with three words. And we know. What do you really know? I'm talking about what do you really know when you're in Ziklag? And the people that you took to battle are the ones trying to stone you and you are all by yourself. What do you know? What do you really know? What's your first response? Do you pull out your sword and try to defend yourself? What do you really know? What do you really know? When life seems to be falling apart. 
Rick Warren, a few years ago, lost his son, Matthew, who had wrestled his entire life with mental illness. And this is what Rick Warren said, and I'll close with this. And the team can come as we close. He says, there is no growth without change. There is no change without loss. There is no loss without pain. And there is no pain without grief. I'll say that again. I'm not only talking about the loss of a loved one, but all of us have lost something. Some of us right now in this moment may be in the throes of change. But notice what he says. I'll repeat it. There is no growth without change. If you're going to grow and you're going to get through this, you have to embrace the fact that something is going to change. Something about your life the way it has always been is about to change. Because nothing can grow without change. Most of us want to grow, but we want everything in our lives to stay the same. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. And that's why most of us as Christians struggle with arrested development, stunted growth. Because God is trying to grow us up. If I don't change my, 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 my M.O., because I want to control everything about my life. And we stay stuck in our rut because nothing can grow unless we're willing to change. There is no change without, with no growth without change. There is no change without loss. Hmm? You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you're going to change, you have to be willing to lose some things. That's why most of us get stuck. That's the second reason we get stuck. Because we keep holding on to stuff. And you can't bring that with you. You can't change and bring that with you. There is no change without loss. You're going to lose some friends. And the question then becomes, were they even friends? Come on, thank you for finishing me. There is no loss without pain. Even those people that got on your last nerve, it hurts when you lose them. There is no loss without pain. Anybody who can lose something and not feel pain didn't love to begin with. But when you really love something, and when you really love people, anybody who can walk away from a relationship and not even feel something, right? I'm talking about the games we play and the words we throw out. Oh, I love you. I love you. Nah, nah, nah. Because if you really loved me, this would be something worth fighting for. I'm talking about the games we play in church and the words we throw out in church because there is no loss without pain and there is no pain without grief. There's a mourning process that happens 
when you're getting through what you're going through. And God wants to help us now at City Church, as Christ followers, with pain management. Because pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. I'll say that again. Pain is inevitable. It will touch us all. Misery is optional. You don't have to be miserable in the midst of your pain. We lost Kate Spade this week. We lost Anthony Bourdain. Somewhere, hopelessness set in. And God wants to help us. Yeah, you are my strength. My goodness. Is that what you're singing? Strength like no other. Come on, just make your seat your altar. We're going to pray and you will be dismissed. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Come on, lift up your voice and pray. This is for that one who finds himself in that hopeless place, seemingly hopeless. Confronting your own ziklag. Nowhere to turn but to God. Because the people you turn to are the ones trying to stone you. It's not a hopeless situation. Because he is still the God of all hope. And he comforts us. Comforts us. Comforts us. Comforts us. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray for you, City Church. And as I'm praying for you, I'm praying for me. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. (laughs) And your word says we have this hope.